The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. It's the most important election in the country's history, and it will have significant implications for the global economy. Are we talking about the U.S. midterm elections in November? Not yet. Coming up first is Brazil's presidential poll in October, already a wild affair in which the frontrunner survived an assassination attempt, while another leading candidate is in jail and was just barred from running. On top of that, each of the five or six main candidates has a starkly different vision for Brazil's economy, which, after America's, is the second largest in the Western Hemisphere. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, columnist at Bloomberg Opinion in New York. November's election in the US is getting plenty of attention because it will determine whether President Donald Trump can make an even deeper impact on the nation. But for Brazil, the change could be even more fundamental. And the race even has a front runner who's being called you guessed it, the Trump of Brazil. For more on that and a breakdown of Brazil's election, we're joined by our Bloomberg News colleague, Bruce Douglas. He's an editor in the nation's capital of Brasilia for economy and government coverage, and he's lived in the nation for the past five years. Bruce, thanks for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. First, let's set the backdrop here. What's the state of Brazil's economy right now? Brazil's economy is in a pretty terrible state. We're just emerging sluggishly from the worst recession on record. We've seen uh, uh, per capita growth over the past five years has shrunk by 1.2%. And this year, we look set to have a pretty anemic growth of about 1.4%. That's the central bank's latest estimate. And next year isn't looking too brilliant either. Uh, 2.5% is, uh, is about the most uh, to hope for. So we are recovering slowly, but it is a, a, a seriously underwhelming recovery, despite a reformist government that entered power after the impeachment of the left-winger Dilma Rousseff. Uh, it's been beset by corruption scandals and uh, uh, the constraints of uh, the Brazilian economy have meant that so far it has under-delivered on its early promise. So we're not really talking about any kind of big upswing either in the US or globally. Brazil seems to be missing out on that right now. What about for the average citizen of Brazil? Has life gotten better or worse over the past five to 10 years? Life has definitely gotten worse over the, the past five years or so. Uh, not only have they seen their uh, real incomes shrink, they've seen uh, unemployment rise dramatically. It's now at about just over 12%. And um, we've seen the only kind of stability that the Temer administration that's currently in power has managed to implement has really been controlling inflation. Prices now are running below 
the target range uh, at around uh, 4%. Uh, that's really been the only kind of saving grace. But for most Brazilians, they will have felt the cuts of the austerity measures introduced by this government, as well as seeing a, a continuing unemployment and a continued slow growth. In the Latin American context, Bruce, an inflation rate that low ought to be cause for celebration. What are we all missing here? Well, one of the reasons that the inflation rate is so low is because growth is so anemic. So it's not necessarily that uh, the central bank has things completely under control. It's just that growth itself is so underwhelming that there's little pressure on prices. Uh, Brazil is an economy which still very much depends on consumer spending. And uh, Brazilian consumers aren't really spending because many of them don't have jobs or are, uh, have, have faced cutbacks from, say, salaries in the, in the public sector. And so um, really, there's, there's no huge celebration to be found in the inflation statistics. It's more a sign of an economy uh, that's, that's uh, pretty slow going. All right. Well, let's turn to the election now. How is this going to work, Bruce? It's not going to be decided in one day, right? No, that's right. So there are two rounds to the election. There's a first round on the 7th of October. And if no candidate wins over 50% of the vote, there'll be a second round on the 28th of October. And uh, judging by all the opinion polls and uh, by Brazil's uh, post-military dictatorship history, there will be two rounds. So at the moment, we have no fewer than 13 candidates in the race after the 7th of October. That'll be whittled down to two. And it looks like it's going to be an increasingly polarised race between kind of two extremes of the left and the right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the person on the right, the front runner, Jair Bolsonaro, the one that Dan mentioned has been compared to Trump? Sure. So Jair Bolsonaro, is he's a former paratrooper. And he's been a congressman for uh, seven terms, but he is pitching himself like Trump as the outsider. And his stance is very much tough on law and order. He's part of uh, the so-called bullet caucus in Congress that has long advocated for looser oversight of police. And one of his key campaign proposals is to uh, loosen gun control at the moment. Buying a gun in Brazil is a very uh, complicated, expensive and bureaucratic process. He wants to arm so-called good citizens in order to tackle Brazil's astronomical rates of violence. Over half a million Brazilians have been killed violently uh, over the past decade or so. And, and his uh, response to that is to take this very tough line on, on law and order. And that's really what's seen him distinguish himself from his rivals. He has a very anti-politically correct style. It you know, goes beyond that in some ways. He's actually been, uh, he's actually been tried for uh, hate speech and for, for, for racism. He uh, hasn't been tried criminally, but he has been faced civil fines for that, which he is appealing. Um, so he's a very kind of outspoken candidate who, as you say, uh, replicates in some ways Trump, but arguably an even closer parallel might be President Duterte in the Philippines, who uh, also uh, came to power on this very hardline law and order stance. Let's talk about his former life as a paratrooper. You know, Bruce, for a long time, I was urging our team in Brasilia to consider whether the military might make a comeback in Brazil given how bad things are. That notion was poo-pooed. What we reconsider? 
Well, I think that the key question is how much the military wants to play a role in governing uh, the country. Because although there is an appetite which appears to be rising for uh, military intervention, and there is in this election the highest number since the return to democracy of ex-army personnel competing for elected office, there are still a number of sensible people in the higher ranks of the military who are aware that perhaps it is not a sign of a healthy democracy when the military have uh, too large a role in government. So while it is definitely a concern, and it's notable that uh, while Jair Bolsonaro is a former army captain, his vice presidential pick is a former general who has um, spoken very flatteringly, as has Bolsonaro, about the period of military rule and has even uh, stated things quite boldly about its its failure being a failure to uh, use torture rather than killing um, political opponents. So that is a very alarming rhetoric. They often ratchet it down when under pressure. But there are still senior ranks in the military who don't want anything to do with uh, this kind of return to the military dictatorship uh, that ran from uh, the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s. Now, is that because the economy's in trouble? They don't want to be CEO of this company right now? Or is it a philosophical difference, a generational thing, perhaps? I think it is a generational thing, more than necessarily running the economy, although a book was recently published here about the worst job in the world, which described the uh, travails of Brazil's finance ministers over the years. It is an extremely hard economy to run and one which is obviously subject very much to uh, global markets and to what the dollar is doing and what commodity prices are doing. And therefore, there is a limit to uh, what any any kind of brilliant economic manager can do when Brazil's economy is in the doldrums for reasons which aren't purely domestic. But I also think that this is a generation of military leaders, many of whom have have come of age in the era uh, of democracy. And really looking around the world can see it's really not a sign of an advanced democracy to rely too heavily on the armed forces to implement policy. So, Bruce, we've talked about Bolsonaro's military connections. We, we've mentioned that he's right wing. Usually when we think about right wing, it, it might be somebody who favors free markets. Then again, the military connection might have different implications for the economy. Where does this guy come down on how he can potentially fix Brazil's economy? Yeah, well, this is one of the key questions of this campaign. And the markets appear to be warming to him. Uh, He appointed Paulo Guedes, a a University of Chicago trained economist, as his his economic advisor. And he is increasingly sounding the tune of free markets. He's talked about a willingness to privatise many of Brazil's state companies. He's talked about the need to get the fiscal deficit under control in the next couple of years. He's talked about the need to tackle arguably uh, the biggest fiscal problem that Brazil has, which is its pension uh, deficit. But at the same time, we don't know how reliable these words are because in his long history in Congress, he's consistently voted in favour of more statist policies. And going back um, a few decades, he was even um, 
a cheerleader when Hugo Chavez first came to power. So his voting record suggests someone who would actually be in favour of, of a strong state. His recent conversion to uh, the benefits of the free market, uh, we don't know how sincere that is or how much uh, that is a ploy to win support and stake out a different position uh, from the left. As Brazil's political class has imploded over the last couple of years, Bruce, there's been one adult in the room, and that's central bank governor Ilan Goldfein. What has Bolsonaro said about his tenure? Does he think he's doing a good job? Will he replace him? So Bolsonaro would like to keep Ilan Goldfein on. He's spoken favourably about him in the past, but he's also couched that in terms that he would leave that to Paulo Guedes, his main economic advisor. Uh, Bolsonaro has repeatedly said that he knows nothing about economics and that he's basically going to outsource all major economic decisions to Paulo Guedes. Now, the problem with this is that clearly there is likely to be some tensions between say, the finance ministry and other ministries, which uh, Bolsonaro will have to intervene in as president. And the other issue is that Paulo Guedes is not necessarily 100% committed to the Bolsonaro project. He's given some rather strange interviews recently in which he said that uh, if he's not able to implement his plans for a, a downsized state, then he'll see no problem walking out on a future President Bolsonaro. So they certainly don't seem to be as tightly wedded as perhaps the market might hope. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about Bolsonaro, but even though he's the front runner, he still doesn't seem to be very close to a majority in the polling, which means that uh, a runoff would be very likely and it's far from assured that he would win. Let's talk about somebody who is one of the other top candidates. The front runner could have been the former president, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, better known just as Lula, but it's not because he's the one in jail. Who is his replacement on the ballot? Tell us a little bit about him. So his replacement is a man called Fernando Adagi, and he was the former mayor of Sao Paulo, the largest city in South America. And he is uh, traditionally seen as one of the more moderate voices within the Workers' Party. Um, he has a master's in economics, 
and a doctorate in Marxism and the Soviet Union. But when he led Sao Paulo, he was a pretty fiscally responsible uh, mayor, although he was kicked out after one term, mainly because he failed to deliver on his promises to some of the uh, Workers' Party's core voters, uh, the poor living on the periphery of the city. He has uh, attempted to steer a course in which he uh, maintains Lula's image as a champion of the poor, while also speaking softly to investors and markets and trying to uh, assure them that he won't be a kind of radical socialist. And in some ways, he has, uh, he has some history on his, his side with this, because in 2002, when Lula was elected president, the markets were were thoroughly scared. The Heal sank, as did the uh, stock market here. But Lula wrote a letter to the Brazilian people, which promised a degree of uh, fiscal rectitude. And um, from his uh, inauguration, we saw a huge boom period for the Brazilian economy, mainly fueled by global rises in commodity prices, but also through a uh, moderate governing stance in which all ships rose with the tide. So it wasn't just the poor that saw their lives improve under President Lula, but also uh, the middle classes and and the wealthy. Uh, so Adagi has that to, to fall back on as proof that the Workers' Party is not equivalent to, say, uh, the regime in, in Venezuela. But he also <laughs> keeps a number of people uh, up late at night, shall I say, with talks about his efforts to rebalance the tax system to make the rich pay more, his uh, desire to boost state banks so that they offer more cheap credit, arguably one of the uh, reasons that Brazil is in the mess it's, uh, it's in at the moment. And he's even talked about uh, the possibility of currency controls to limit fluctuations in the exchange rate. So these are some of the things which, which worry investors. And we're waiting to see which Adagi emerges. It's likely that in the second round, both candidates, both Jair Bolsonaro and Fernando Adagi, will pivot uh, towards the centre. But at the moment, they're staking out more extreme positions to, to shore up that first round support. So we've talked about how they might tack to the centre, but how investors are also potentially skittish about uh, Adagi's agenda. So... Could markets be making the same kind of mistake that they did in 2002 when there was a lot of fear that Lula was going to you know, really turn the economy more over to the state? Uh, is that a legitimate fear now or is that really not possible in, in today's globalized uh, economy where Brazil just has to really open up in order to, to regain some wealth? I think that we're in a very different scenario from 2002 and a much more alarming situation here. Uh, there is a strong possibility that Adagi will govern from a more uh, centrist position, but he will still face pressure from the left. There are many prominent voices to the left of him who will be agitating for a more radical agenda. And the question is whether he can strike the right balance. And who he will be able to work with in Congress. What's happened in Brazil at the moment is that the political establishment has lost 
almost all of its credibility. And the so-called centrist bloc, this slightly kind of amorphous grouping of political parties that tend to, to blow with the wind and tend to coalesce around whoever's in power, somewhat regardless of ideology. The question is whether they will shift to support Adagi and therefore perhaps tilt him more to the centre or whether they'll play a more obstructionist role. There's also the genuine question about whether the election result will be fully accepted. Jair Bolsonaro has for a long time questioned Brazil's system of electronic voting and insists that the Workers' Party are gearing up to commit fraud on voting day. And so if there is enough of his supporters, if there are enough Bolsonaro supporters who question this, or there is uh, serious dissatisfaction that rises among, say, members of the armed forces who don't want to see the Workers' Party back in power, there is the possibility of a very complicated post-election scenario. Hopefully, some form of democratic renewal will, after two years of somewhat disdain for Brazil's political class. Hopefully some form of democratic renewal will reanimate to a certain extent the animal spirits in the Brazilian economy. But it's equally possible that we may be in for a messy post-election period where the result doesn't truly settle the very deep polarisation in Brazilian society at the moment. Sounds like uh, a way to describe the US economy and uh, upcoming election as well. Bruce Douglas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Brazil's election with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. And our guest, Bruce Douglas, is at Bruce Ecurb. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.